just before we uh, just before we turn to God's word, uh, just some of what Alison has shared this morning, that whole idea of skimming life or suffering from hurry sickness and how we can just kind of even in a service just, you know, race on through it. And, and Alison has really helpfully led us. So I'm just going to give a moment's silence to just give you an opportunity to reflect on, on maybe just even the words of that song. I'll put them up again. You know, maybe that's your prayer. God create me a, a heart that's clean. All of my life before you now I humbly bring. So just take a moment to just pray and respond to what you've been thinking about so far this morning. your mercy, Lord. Hear our prayers. Amen. If you have a Bible, could I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's page 1145 on the Red Pew Bibles, or in the Red Pew Bibles. I've, uh, I've often wondered what it must have been like sitting, listening to one of Paul's letters for the very first time. To, uh, to, have, to have actually been one of the original recipients. I want you to think about it and kind of go with me on this one for a moment. News has filtered through that the apostle has sent your church a letter. It's a long letter. And therefore everyone has been invited to come together on Saturday or Sunday or whenever to hear its contents because somebody is going to stand up and read it out. And I'm pretty sure all those who belong to or were connected to this particular church would have wanted to be there. and Nobody would have wanted to miss this. There must have been a reasonably high level of anticipation and excitement, maybe even concern. What does the apostle have to say to us? What, what does he want to say? What's he going to talk about? What's he going to raise? What's he going to address? Will he refer to that issue? Will he talk about those people? You can imagine the sense of anticipation. It must have been a big deal. And so the day arrives. And after a while, you've listened to the first two chapters. I know there weren't chapter divisions back, but back then, but stick with me. Paul started, as you've, you've sat there as a congregation, listening to this letter, read out to you for the very first time. Paul has started with some really encouraging words and thoughts. But then he's touched on a sensitive issue. Apparently, it was the issue that prompted him to write to you in the first place. It's the problem of disunity and division, and a lack of harmony. And so Paul has had to go on in this letter to talk about the basis of Christian unity, which is the cross of Jesus, this place of reconciliation. 
And next, he's, he spent quite a bit of time dealing with the popular subject of wisdom and the difference between human wisdom and godly wisdom. And finally, he's reminded us, and we looked at this last week, of the incredible reality that not only do we have the Spirit of God living within us, enabling us to make judgments on all things, the amazing thought, Paul said, listen, you've got the Spirit of God living within you, and therefore you can make judgments on all things. But not only that, you've got the mind of Christ. And so you can think, and you can respond, and you can react, and you can process things in a Christ-like way. Now, after all of that, here for the first time, you need a coffee break. Okay, you need a caffeine injection. And so everyone's taken a bit of time out to process and reflect on, on all that Paul has been saying in these first two chapters, but now it's time to grab your seat again. And listen, what, well, what's Paul going to say next? What is he going to say in this next chapter? Starting at verse 1 of chapter 3. And so I want us to try put ourselves in, in these people's shoes. You're hearing this for the first time. Are you sitting comfortably? Let's continue. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Now, one level that's reasonably direct, Paul. It's a little uncomfortable, but it's also important to realize that he's actually referring back about five years. He's talking about the early days. He's commenting on what they were like, where they were at when he first came to Corinth and when they first came to faith. So he's rewinding five years. It's past tense. But aspects of this opening line are worth considering. To start with, Paul confirms, listen, you're part of the family. You're brothers and sisters. Not only that, but you're in Christ, which is one of those key phrases that Paul uses time and time again to clarify Christian identity. This is who you are. You're part of the family. You're in Christ. Even the term infants, it's not a derogatory term at least not at this stage, because it's true. Five years ago, they were brand new to the faith. They were new believers. They were spiritual babies, and they needed to be treated accordingly, and they needed to be handled carefully, which is why if you look at the beginning of verse 2, Paul recalls and makes the point that he fed them appropriately. He says, listen, I gave you milk, not solid food. It's five years ago. So as you listen for the first time round, and you know he's referring to five years ago. You think, so far, so good. But there are a couple of phrases in there that, that are a little troubling. Paul says, do you know something? I, I couldn't address you. I couldn't speak to you as people who live by the Spirit. Or as it says in some translations, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people. Which is an interesting comment because it implies that you can't be a Christian and yet not live by the Spirit. 
can. You can be a Christian and yet not live by the Spirit. Or not yet live by the Spirit. For those who are following our Sunday evening series, Nine a Day, that, that phrase, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, it should be familiar because in Galatians 5, where Paul lists the fruit, the nine segments, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, he urges Christians, listen, you got to live by the Spirit. You've got to keep in step with the Spirit in order for these characteristics to be growing and ripening in your life. So again, you can be a Christian and yet be out of step with the Spirit, out of sync. But back to Corinth, where Paul refers to the fact that he couldn't address these people, this church, as those who live by the Spirit, or as spiritual people. But here's what he says. But as people who are still worldly, still worldly, or as people of the flesh, is maybe how your translation reads. Now remember, he's not undermining their identity. They are family. They are in Christ. He's not saying they weren't Christians. But it's pretty obvious as Paul rewinds the clock and takes them back five years, he's making the point, you've a bit of growing up. You've a bit of maturing to do. They were young in the faith, and therefore they still lived at times in a rather worldly, fleshly, natural unspiritual way and as new christians listening to this for the first time this letter you probably think yeah it's fair enough it's fair enough and so as they think back and listen now to paul's opening line of chapter three they probably wouldn't or couldn't have disagreed too much with what he was saying but as the reader keeps reading they must have nearly fallen off their seats at the next comment. Look at verse 2. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Yes, that, that's fine, Paul. But look at how verse 2 finishes and 3 starts. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. Must have been some anxious looks around the room at that point. Paul is saying they're still there. Still haven't grown up. Still haven't developed. Still haven't matured. There's been more than ample time for spiritual attitudes and actions to develop. They should be well beyond a staple diet of puree baby food. They should be increasingly living by the Spirit, in step with the Spirit, not reflecting worldly ways, but instead becoming more and more alternative, countercultural, Christ-centered, God-centered, Christ-like. But they're not. They're stuck. They're stunted. They're immature. And that must have been a bit of a kick in the teeth. Although it seems they probably didn't have any. And if nothing else, as we read this letter, as we engage with these words, we've got to face up to this sobering possibility, and I, and I found this really challenging this week, I'll be honest. 
We've got to face up to the sobering possibility. You can be a Christian for years and years and yet still not live by the Spirit. And still be far too worldly, fleshly for your own good and your own growth and anyone else's for that matter. That, that I honestly believe, is a sobering reality of what Paul is saying here. You can be a Christian for five years, 15 years, 20 years, whatever. It's not calling into question your identity. You are a Christian. But you haven't grown up. You're not living by the Spirit. You're not spiritual people. You're not in step with the Spirit. You're, you're still worldly. Paul wasn't saying, and I need to emphasize, Paul wasn't saying you didn't have the Spirit within you. That's not what he's saying. That's not what I'm questioning. In the previous chapter, as I say, towards the end, he says to them, listen, you've got the Spirit of God living within you. You have. And therefore, you can make judgments about all things. Every Christian receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. Passionately believe that. Every Christian receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. So having the Spirit is never in doubt. The potential for growth and maturity is not up for debate. But what Paul is querying, what Paul is challenging is their daily discipleship and practice of living by the Spirit. It seems that you can have and yet not live by. You can be a Christian and yet still pretty unspiritual in your attitudes and actions. And actually, I'm not sure too many of us would argue with that. Like if you think back to the past week, has everything you've said and done been pretty spiritual? Has it? Every thought, every action? But whenever someone challenges you about it or suggests that you might need to grow up, which certainly seems to be happening here, it's not easy to take. It's not easy to take. And yet if we're going to be church, if we're going to be church in the city where Jesus and the message of the cross is front and center, we're going to need to be growing. We're going to need to be maturing. We're going to need to be sure we're in sync with his spirit. But as we stick to the text, let's see and let's listen to what it is that led Paul to confirm you haven't grown up. Because that, that's really important. You can't just be voicing off and saying, listen, you need to grow up without saying why. And Paul does. What was the evidence of their spiritual immaturity and childish behavior that meant that Paul had to be so direct? Why is it they're still living as worldly Christians. Five years later. We'll look at verse 3. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? You see, whenever there is division and disunity in a Christian community, there's a huge problem. In week two of this series, we made the point that not only does disunity and division wreck our fellowship, but it completely destroys our witness. It's a massive internal and external issue 
It compromises our relationships. It diminishes the credibility of our gospel. This good news of peace and reconciliation, of grace and love, of forgiveness and transformation, that is our good news that we've got to share. Yet, thank God I cherish the unity here. And I long for us to guard it and protect it. But you know something, as I look around sometimes, other situations that are just falling apart and there is disunity and there is division, it breaks my heart. Because we believe in a gospel of peace and reconciliation and grace and love and forgiveness and transformation. And therefore, when there is division and there is disunity, it just makes a nonsense of our gospel. And Paul knew how dangerous and damaging this was for this city church. It's why he puts pen to paper. Jealousy and strife and quarreling can destroy a church. It can tear it apart. And according to Paul, when those things happen, when there's jealousy and there's quarreling and there's strife and there's not unity and there's division and there's a lack of harmony, when those attitudes and actions, at the end of the day, that's what they are. They're attitudes and actions. When they are not there, when they are not expressed, when they are not evident, it says something. It reveals something. What does it reveal? Lack of maturity. A lack of spirit-led living. A lack of godliness. A lack of authenticity. So he says, listen, are you not acting like mere humans? In other words, the way you're behaving is no different than anyone else. It's simply not Christian. Do you remember how Paul started this letter? He reminded them of their identity. Can anybody... Remind, remind me, remind of who. What was their identity at the start of this? Like, what did Paul say you are? You're what? Saints. You're called to be God's holy people. What does that mean? It means we're distinctive, we're different, we're set apart. But since there's jealousy and there's quarreling and there's strife and there's disunity and there's division and there's a lack of harmony, you're totally contradicting that reality. You're saints. That's your identity. Let's live up to this. Growth and maturity in Christian discipleship is absolutely essential. But do you know what growth and maturity in Christian life and individual lives and a corporate life looks like? How do we define maturity? How do you define maturity as a Christian? probably a whole sermon or issue in itself you know for some people maturity is about age it's about experience it's about knowledge it's about understanding it comes from being a christian for a certain amount of time for others maturity is about thinking deeply and extensively about spiritual matters that, that that's a sign of maturity it's about a grasp and appreciation of christian doctrine and theology that that's maturity but you know something Although all of those are good and they're commendable and they're laudable at one level, ultimately, ultimately, maturity as a Christian is all about attitude and action. It's all about attitude and action. While knowledge is certainly valuable, obedience is far more important. 
Christian maturity is about godly living. It's about developing a Christian character. And again, to link this to Sunday evenings, it's about increasing fruitfulness. It's about becoming more loving, more joyful, more patient, more kind, more peaceful, more gentle, more good. That's the right phrase. More faithful, more self-controlled. It's about growth. It's about attitude and action. The men's retreat, we were looking at this whole idea. What does it mean to be a godly man? What does Paul say to Timothy? Train to be godly. This has got to be intentional. This has got to be something we're growing in, we're developing in. It's about attitudes and actions. That is the sign of spiritual maturity. How we relate to one another in attitude and action. You know, sometimes we complicate the Christian faith far too much. Greatest command, love God, love your neighbor. That's it. Do this and you will live. Do this and you'll discover eternal life. Do this. In the church at Corinth, there was a severe lack of godly attitude and actions. Why? Because there's jealousy and there's quarreling and there's strife and there's disunity and there's division and there's a lack of harmony. And therefore, Paul challenged their childish mindset, challenged their childish behavior and effectively told them to grow up. And Paul earths this for them because he identifies a specific problem as he explains how these wrong attitudes and actions are manifesting themselves. Verse 4, look at it. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? These cliques, these personality cults, these splinter groups, this favoritism, this rivalry, this competition, it's all wrong. This may be what happens, this may be how it happens in the outside world in a dog-eat-dog context where infighting goes with the territory and where people take sides all the time. Yep, that's fine. But in the Christian church, there's no place for it. We're called to model something different, to be a unified body. We are called to be one as Jesus prayed, that last prayer of Jesus. Father, here's my heart's desire for your church that they'd be as one. We're called to love one another. Why? Again, why did Jesus tell us to love one another? Because that way, people will know you're my disciples. I'm pretty sure there must have been some nervous glances around the room as this letter's read out for the first time. You see, people would have known what was going on. People knew who was following who. People knew whose camp who was in, who was following Paul, who was following Apollos. And do you remember even some of them were saying, I follow Christ, and they were saying that rather arrogantly just because that was the right answer. Jesus always is the right answer. I follow, people would have known what camp everyone was in. And so Paul's words must have stung sharply or at least struck a chord. But what I love about this letter and this chapter is that Paul doesn't just leave it at that. He doesn't just identify the problem and highlight their worldly, fleshly, humany, not a word, 
immature actions and attitudes, he goes on to offer help and perspective. He attempts to get them to see beyond personalities. And so he starts with a couple of questions. Look at verse 5. I know we're just walking through this. That's what we're going to be kind of doing for a while in this series. Look at verse 5. What, after all, is Apollos and what is Paul? Now, he doesn't ask who is Apollos. He doesn't ask who, who is Paul. He says, what is? In other words, he focuses on their position and place. The Corinthian church had elevated these men to heroes. Big shots, dignitaries, masters, celebrities. And Paul strips it all back and he reveals what they really are. Not only what they really are, but what every single Christian leader really is. And not only what every single Christian leader really is, but what everyone involved in Christian ministry really is. In other words, every single Christian. And what are they? We're just servants. What are we? Just servants. Only servants. Table waiters. Foot washers. Servants, you see, are people who live beyond themselves. People who constantly ask, what can I do for someone else? People who come to church not to get, but to give. People who are not looking for recognition, they're just looking for an opportunity to help and bless someone. How did you come to church this morning? come to worship God yeah but I came to just serve whatever that means so for some people that means up in number 14 looking after babies and toddlers just serving that's, that's what I'm here to do for a worship team been here since quarter past nine why I hope because they recognize do you know what we are we're just, we're just servants and so Paul clarifies what he and Apollos are, actually are as opposed to what others think they are. And he makes the point, you know something, no one at Corinth has came to faith in us. Rather, you've come to faith through us as we have served the Lord just by doing what he's asked us to do. Look at verse 5. As the Lord has assigned each to his task. Listen, we're just doing what we've been called to do. Just serving. And God's choosing to use us Amazing thought. God's choosing to use us to help and to bless others. And if we take nothing else away from this morning, although I hope we will, please hear and take this humbling reminder away for further reflection. We are only servants of God and servants of one another. And if we increasingly and consistently relate to one another with that attitude and in that way, with that level of maturity, do you know that then disunity and division and a lack of harmony won't get a look in? If, if that's actually our attitude, if I am here to serve you, it changes everything. Jealousy and strife and quarreling won't threaten the immediate or long-term future of this city church. I am his servant. I am your servant. And the minute I think I'm anything else. I'm beat. 
your beat. Let's all embrace this privilege of serving God. And Paul then identifies, and I'm nearly done, Paul then identifies what he did and what Apollos did, you know, these tasks. Paul says, listen, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, and then as Allison reminded us earlier on in the service, do you know something? Says Paul, and this just shows how humble in a sense he was and how much they got the need to be servants, although I doubt they'd have ever said it. They knew neither of them were anything in and of themselves. Look at verse 7. So neither the one who plants, so that's Paul, or the one who waters, that's Apollos, neither of them are what? What does it say? Is anything. <laughs> Certainly weren't elevating themselves or looking to be putting any kind of pedestal. Echoes here of the ultimate servant, Jesus, who, what did he do? Made himself nothing. Taking on the nature of a servant. Made himself nothing. But as Paul steps out of the limelight, as he turns off the spotlight of himself and Apollos, he draws attention to the fact that any growth at Corinth is and will be down to God. Only God makes things grow, says Paul. We serve, that's what we're called to do, but growth, real, lasting, spiritual growth, that's God's department. That's God's business. We don't save anyone, rescue anyone. We serve everyone. It's God who causes growth. You know, we, I hope, long for growth in this church. Pray for growth. We serve one another. We serve God in order to facilitate growth. But if and when it happens, it's all because of God. And the minute we forget that, the minute we think we are the reason why this church is growing, is the minute we're skating thin ice. And so Paul finishes, and this is where I want to end. He finishes by confirming, look at this, you know who we are? We're fellow workers in God's service. We're fellow workers in his field and in his building. These are two pictures of the church. But in order to serve God and work alongside each other in his service, we need to get rid of jealousy and rid of all quarreling. We simply must unite and stay united. We must live by the Spirit. And with his help, we've got to seek to ditch any and all worldly attitudes and actions. Spiritual, this is my last thought, spiritual maturity is revealed in how we relate to each other. If you want to take away a line from this morning, there it is. Spiritual maturity is revealed in how we relate to each other. Our attitudes and actions towards our brothers and sisters indicates growing Christ-centered spirituality. Or other ways. And so, may God help us live like saints in this city. And if and where and when necessary, may he encourage us to grow up. Let's stand together as we sing our final song. As morning dawns and evening fades, you inspire songs of praise. Just a song about how God, Jesus' name is strong and mighty tower and nothing has the power to save but his name is not us it's all of God thanks